This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, Father's Day, I got to thinking about my own dad. And, um, you know, my dad went to be with God about two years ago. And I had a great dad. I know that's not everybody's story, but I, I really had an amazing father. Uh, just he taught me a lot. I, my dad, if you knew him, he just, he couldn't help but be a teacher. It just was what oozed out of him all the time. Anybody have dads that every moment was a learning moment? You know what I mean? And uh, I just realized that even from an early age, I really wanted to be like my dad. I, uh, I remember about the age of four or five going into his room one day, he wasn't there. And I noticed that his shoes, the backs of his heels were kind of, kind of worn out and he walked on the edge of his feet somehow. And in my own little mind, I thought I'm gonna be like dad. And I can remember trying to walk on the edge of my shoes just so I could be like him. You know, if you look at my closet today, I walk just like him. I didn't need to practice it, you know. Those jeans kind of carried right on through. But I learned a lot from my dad. We bought a house, or I should say we inherited a house when I was about nine years old. And when we moved up to the city it was in, we realized it was uninhabitable. And so, so began my journey to learn to use tools and eventually power tools. I mean, that was amazing. I remember it was like 10, 11, being able to use drills and hammers and I didn't even go to the hospital. It was amazing. My dad taught me things too. Like anybody else have sayings that you just hear from your dad all the time, maybe even if they're not around? Like, I, I hear these all the time. If you open it, close it. If you turn on the light switch, turn on the, off the light switch when you leave. Or my most famous one, when you borrow something, make sure it's in good a condition or better when you take it back. As I said, my dad's been gone a couple years. I borrow a, a pressure washer from my buddy. I still hear my dad saying, did you fill the tank up even if it wasn't filled when you got it? I still hear my dad is, is these lessons that I learned from my dad. I learned a few things not to do, even though he did them. My dad seemed to collect stuff. Passed away, I had to throw it all away. Not all of it, but my mom asked me to go through his wallets. And, and come to find, I didn't know he had several wallets. I discovered that he had kept every single credit card, I think, from his entire life, even if it wasn't good anymore. I found credit cards from 1978 from when we lived in Spokane at the old National Bank. But I found this one, and it's not even shaped like a normal credit card. There's no, I mean, I don't even know what they did with them back then. There's no magnetic stripe. There's no security. It's got his name on it. It's from Lippmann's. Does anybody remember Lippmann's in Portland? It's this old department store. I mean, it's got to be from the late 60s or early 70s. And I thought, Dad, why'd you keep it all these years? And then yesterday, as I was getting ready to preach, it was like the Lord said, how long have you had it now? <laughs> Two years. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to throw it away after this today. I just have learned some things from my dad, some intentional and some unintentional. And you know, I know that Father's Day is not always an easy day, as, as Dylan said a little earlier. I realize that some people had great dads like I did. Ken Mallman had an amazing dad. He still does. He's still with us all these years. But I also could begin to name some of you that we walked through the journey of maybe an absentee dad or a father who was there in physical form but never there in heart and spirit or some never even knew their dad. And you know, the reality is, is that we all go through these life challenges. And today on Father's Day in honor of fathers, I thought we'd do something a little bit different. I wanted to look at a father in the Bible today. That no matter where we're at with our natural father, whether they're around or not, whether we had a relationship or not, I want to talk to you about this thought of 
being strong and courageous, and not just starting strong, but finishing strong in our life that applies to every single one of us. And I want to look at the life today of Caleb. Caleb's not one of those superstars. He's not Paul. He's not Moses. He's not known for any miracle. As far as we know, he didn't do a single miracle other than he, he lived his life well. And I want to take you through the story of, of Caleb today. We're going to look at especially the book of Joshua and some of, the, some of the Old Testament. We're going to look at his life today. And I want you just to kind of all of us learn from a father today in how to finish strong. Everybody just shout strong. strong. We're all going to live this life somehow. And I hope we learn today that how we live this life will determine even the, 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 the length in which we'll enjoy it, the, the ability to process it, the way we'll look at it will determine the quality of life that we have today. And Caleb, it's amazing what we're going to learn from him today. But in order to understand Caleb and to learn from his journey, learn from this father, we've got to understand where, where Israel's journey was. Israel had been in slavery for over 400 years to the Egyptians. And God had promised their forefathers that he was going to give them a land and they were going to inherit it. And that yet decade after decade, they're enslaved to the Egyptians. And yet God sends Moses. If you grew up in church any length of time, you've probably heard of Moses and, and how he was going to free his people. And the Lord comes back and through Moses, he, he reminds the children of Israel what he'd been promising all these years. And in Exodus 13, 5, Moses says, the Lord, everybody shout the Lord. The Lord will lead you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's a lot of ites in there. And he says, this is the land that he promised to your ancestors he would give you. And he says, it's a fertile land. You stop and think about that for a moment. We realize three things. God had promised them that he had an inheritance for them. And by the way, it was a good inheritance. It wasn't a bad piece of land. It was a great place for them to thrive as a nation. But he also told them there were some nations in that land. I want you to remember that because it's, it's really important as, as in Joshua, or excuse me, Caleb's journey as we go throughout it to realize that there were giants in the land. And if you know the story and God begins to free his people through some supernatural miracles. The Egyptians, where they don't want to let them go in the beginning, they're actually begging them to leave. And they send them with all kinds of money and treasures and things that they send them out with, just saying, get out of here and take everything we've got. And he opens the Red Sea and, and God frees them from the, the Egyptian army that's chased them and closes them up and destroys a whole army. They're out over a million people. We don't know the numbers, but a million plus. They're in a desert place they get thirsty, there's no water, and God supernaturally cracks open a rock through, and he, and he waters that entire nation. They get a little hungry, they're tired of being vegetarians. So they begin to complain. I would complain too if I was a vegetarian. If you're a vegetarian, please don't send me an email. I just realized I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Lord loves vegetarians too. But all of a sudden, God sends... God sends all these quail and they all eat. I mean, miraculous. And he sends a manna every day. It shows up in the morning, they collect it and it feeds their nation. I mean, God has just shown time and time and time again how he's for them. And, and now they're right on the edge of Canaan. They're right on the edge of the land that God has promised them. And we, we see that Lord tells Moses to take 12 leaders 
The 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel, there were 12 families that became, in our way, we might almost call them like states became a nation. And all it tells us is this is the first time we've, we come encounter with Caleb, that Caleb was the leader of the tribe of Judah. He'd be like a governor, but he would lead the army. He would lead those people. He would have been a man of influence at some level, but that's all it tells us. But there's a key part. The Lord tells Moses to send these 12 leaders of these 12 tribes to go do a scout and see what the land's like. Here's what he tells them. He says, go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there, they're strong or they're weak, whether there's few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or is it poor? Are there a lot of trees? He says, do your best to bring back samples of all the crops you see. So the scouts, those 12 men, they head out. 40 days. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. It just tells us they started in the south. They went up north and kind of in a big loop. They, they did this big journey. Also tells us that it was the grape growing season. And they saw all kinds of, of produce or, or, uh, being grown. But they, they actually came upon grapes that were in such large clusters that they, it took two men to carry it to bring it back. But there is one detail I want us to, to focus on. It's one of the few details in the story. It says that they, they scouted the city of Hebron. Everybody just shout Hebron. Hebron. It's going to be an important city in Caleb's life. And it says that in that city there were the descendants of Anak who were giants. It's interesting. Maybe we've never heard of the Anakites. But most of us have heard the story about David and Goliath. And some think that the Anakites that weren't destroyed outside of the nation of Israel were the predecessors to Goliath. You can imagine what that might look like when you came upon a city called Hebron that was full of these people. Some commentators say that maybe the average Israelite was around under five feet tall and those giants might have been seven to eight feet tall. Now that's, that's a difference. They're real. They're in that city. And the scouts come back and while they show all the produce that they brought and how good the land is, their whole focus is on the giants in the land. It's amazing that when they come back, they... They've seen all this land, all God's goodness. They, they've got all this history of God doing miracle after miracle. And yet, all they can talk about is this, the giants. We pick up the story again in chapter 13. And it says, so they spread this bad report among the land, among the Israelites. And it says, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw, they were, they were huge. We even saw giants, the descendants of Anak talking about Hebron. They said, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they felt too. Well, anybody ever get in a group and suddenly there's that pessimist, there's that person that all they see is the glass half empty? These guys didn't even see the glass half empty. They didn't even see the glass. And they come back and suddenly the whole tone before they went out, I can imagine the, the thoughts of victory, the thoughts of landing, the thoughts of building homes and, and inheriting lands they didn't build, crops they didn't plant, suddenly is now going to where the people begin to murmur. And imagine this. They're actually thinking about finding a new leader to go back to their slavery in Egypt. Wow. Can you imagine being that desperate? In essence, they aren't even, they aren't even rejecting Moses. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting his promises. They're, they're rejecting his supernatural power. They're rejecting everything about who he is. 
And as a result, we begin to see where Caleb steps into the story for the first time with any detail. And the whole nation is murmuring. And this is where we see who Caleb really is. And this is the first glimpse of what I want to call of looking at Caleb's life and seeing how Caleb started strong. It says in Numbers 14, 7, it says, they, shout they. That would be Caleb and Joshua, the two guys out of the 10 who brought back a good report. They're the only two that had a different perspective. It says that they said to all the people, come on, the land we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. And here it comes. Don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people in the land. And I love this spirit. They are only helpless prey to us. For they have no protection. Come on. But the Lord God is with us. And I think this morning the Lord wants to speak to a few people to say, come on, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. The Lord is with you. You got a father that's fighting for you. You got a God who's watching out for you. And how oftentimes we can't see what he's doing. We aren't sure what lies around in the next trip that we're going to take, but God's already gone there. And he says, don't be afraid of him. And I begin to look at this and just what he's declaring. And I realized some keys to starting strong is you can't let everybody's voice around you influence you. You got to make sure you're listening to the right voices. There was all kinds of people. 12 of them saw the exact same things. And yet 10 of them, they begin to back up. I don't know what got in their spirit, but I'll tell you what, Caleb wasn't going to let that get in his spirit. And he would chose to remember instead that God had promised them a land a long time ago. You see, it's one thing when we make up our own promises. It's another thing when God's made you a promise. Stop and think about God's promises to you through his word, through the Holy Spirit. This was something God had been promising for years. And here's the other part I want to just say. God's promise, the inheritance of this land, it was a good land. It wasn't garbage land. And how many of us need to remember that God's promises are good in our lives? They're not my grandma Madison's Christmas gifts. My grandma grew up in the depression. God bless her. I loved her dearly. She's gone to be with the Lord too. I'm sure her and dad are having a conversation today. But I realized she used to buy burgers and freeze them for later from, from uh, McDonald's. There was just something about her. But when I got Christmas presents or birthday presents, I could tell that they came from the goodwill because the puzzles had scotch tape around them, not the normal seal. They were missing usually norm, uh, a bunch of pieces. Do you know how frustrating it is to put together a puzzle like with my personality and all the pieces aren't there? <laughs> or the toys that were always missing that key component that the game didn't work. How many know God doesn't give you Grandma Madison presents? His gifts are complete. They're good. They're plentiful. They're going to add to your life. They're not going to take away from it. Grandma, I'm sorry for using you as a reference today. But you know what, Caleb, because he looked to God, he didn't give in to fear. Here's something that's so important. We need to remember the giants were real. Caleb didn't practice some form of faith that just closed his eyes and said, in Jesus' name, they're gone. In Jesus' name, they're gone. In Jesus' name, they're gone. Those giants were there. You see, faith in God isn't denying the giants. It's declaring that God is greater than the giants. And you know what? We each get a choice to make because we've all got those giants in our life. 
Some of us are dealing with giants of finance, relationships. Some of you are dealing with giants of health. Some of you are dealing with giants of, of you haven't seen the promise come and you don't even know what the giants are, but you're paralyzed because you can't seem to overcome them. And maybe you were never meant to overcome them because God put them in your life so he could show you he was the one to overcome them. And Caleb, don't you just get a thought that this guy was just some gnarly old guy that wasn't gonna listen to everybody else's opinion. How about we quit listening to what the world tells us, what others always tell us, unless they're telling us the same thing, that God is for us. And Caleb, he just simply trusted God. He took and made a decision to trust an unseen God to be more real than a seen giant. And for some of you, that's a word of the Lord for you today. And I realize, huh, it's easy to stand on a platform and preach that to you, but I've got to live through my own giants. And will I stand on the promises of God or will I look to my surroundings, the voices and what I see, and will I let that determine the course I'm going to take? Because I'm going to tell you today, if you're going to start strong and you're going to walk strong, it comes with a foundation saying, God, I know that you're real and that you are for me. God, your good is not a song we sing. It's a declaration of faith in our heart. And today, I look, at, I look at Caleb and I let him teach me something. And the reality is, is God that one day, he judged the entire nation based on their willingness to trust him for their future. Boy, I'm so glad that God isn't doing that to me today. His mercies are new every morning, that he's faithful. He said, you're gonna wander in the desert for 40 years. One year for every day you were on that excursion. Nobody, I believe it was over the age of 20, will live to see the promised land, except, except for my servant Caleb and Joshua. You stop and you, you just stop and you think about that for a moment. And then he makes a promise, not even to Joshua, he makes a promise to Caleb. Numbers 14, 24, because my servant Caleb has a, listen to these words, a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. I'm gonna bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Hallelujah. You know, maybe you're in the room today, or maybe you're online today and maybe you're brand new to your faith in Christ. Maybe you're on a journey. Maybe even you've, you've been a believer for a long time, but you would never describe your walk relationship with God as strong. I wanna talk to some people that need to start strong today and I gotta say this, what's in your spirit? It takes a different kind of spirit that's choosing to wholeheartedly follow after God. It's why if I, can, if I can just be maybe a dad of the house for a moment, not because I want you to do something religious, not because I want some liturgy in your life, but if you don't spend time with God every day, I don't know how you change your spirit. I don't know how you begin to wholeheartedly follow God because it's with the voices in our world and culture and the enemy who comes in to lie to us, you need that connection to the Father himself that he can put a spirit in you that's different than the world's gonna put into you. Our pastor, Mark Jones, he talks all the time about the first 15 minutes of your day. He's always encouraging our connect group leaders and all things new teams to say, come on, every time we get together, let's practice the first 15 to give God the first part of our day. 
I do more than 15 and I don't say, I just have found I need more than just 15 minutes with God of spending time with him in worship. And come on, worshiping does as much for me as it glorifies God. It changes myself because of my declarations. Where do you start strong? It's by having a different spirit. It's by wholeheartedly following after God. And maybe you're in the room today and you need to make some adjustments. Whose voice you're listening to? Because the giants, we all got them. The mountains, they're all real. And I look at Caleb and I think, here's a man who's experienced slavery. God's greater. He's experienced lack of food and water. God's greater. He's seen the giants and he's now gotten to the point he's saying, and I know because of this, God is greater. I'm going to start strong. And today, I just, I just want you to know that if those areas of, of even how do I have that relationship? How do I do the mornings with God? We just have this little thing called the first 15. It's just a little, they're at the back tables. You're not strong. It's, it's the place to start is strengthening your relationship with God. But you know, Caleb didn't stay there. It's interesting that Israel then spends the next 40 years wandering in the desert for a trip that should have taken weeks. Boy, doesn't that sound like a lot of our lives if we're not careful. They wandered in a desert. They wandered in a place of lack when God had a place of provision already promised for them. Moses dies. So we come 40 years later. Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel. Another great man. They're one of the only two men that are going to survive this journey. And we see Caleb one more time in the picture. They're getting ready to Go take the land this time with faith, knowing God's before him. It just simply lists out the tribal leaders again, and Caleb's the only tribal leader still in his place. I think about all that represents. You know what Caleb did to stay strong? He just kept doing the same things. He kept doing the right things day in and day out. Here's what's amazing. In 40 years of wandering, we hear about Moses. We hear about Caleb. We hear Joshua. We hear nothing about Caleb. Caleb's not a superstar. He just continues to do the right things day after day. You begin to realize he was called as a leader. He continued to lead. He, he continued to, to move forward. And as they begin over the next five years, a conquest to take finally the land God had promised them. It starts with a miracle at Jericho. They got a little oopsie at Ai and they had to figure that out. They'd kind of gotten ahead of God. But it says that they began to conquer all the nations in the southern territories. And then they went to the northern area and began to conquer the land. And, and then they come to the place where, where it's time to divide up the, the land. It's time for them to divide up the land based on the, the, the tribe and the size of the tribe will determine the area and the size of the area. And all it says again is Caleb was one of those leaders. You know, I stopped and was thinking about our church. 40 years, 65 years of history. I began to think about a lot of people that are fathers and mothers in this house that have just lived a life, not on the platform, but day in and day out, leading people, caring for people in groups, serving in this house, reaching out to the city. I think about people like Ken and Glenda that have just faithfully served day in and day out. I think about the Corbuses over here who've been in the church probably 20 plus years, just day in and day out. I think about all those who just served in our church day in and day out. Those many times you don't even see our dream teams. You know what I want to say today? Thank you for staying strong. 
thank you for living well. Come on, all of our dream team, put your hands together. And I'm as thankful for those who are brand new on teams and they're just starting their journey. But there's something about a church where we've got people that we can see with, with life experience that they stayed strong. And now as they get ready to divide up the land, I love the fact that we see Caleb again coming to Joshua. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. You can see these two old guys that have been battle-scarred, battle-weary, and now ready to divide up the spoils. And he says, now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive as he promised all these 45 years since Moses made the promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And he says, today, I'm 85 years old. Think about it. He says, and I love this word. He says, I am as strong as now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. You get in the feeling this isn't some 85-year-old guy with an oxygen tank and sitting in a wheelchair somewhere just making a declaration. There's something still in his spirit that he's going to take more territory. He's not giving up. He's got a future, and he's remembering, God promised me, until I get that promise, I'm not letting go. He says, give me the hill country the Lord promised me. You'll remember it. You can just hear him. Come on, Joshua. Remember when we found the descendants of Anak? Where is that? Hebron. They were living in a great walled town. And I love this. If the Lord is with me. He's not saying if they're with my tribe as they go out. He's saying if, they're with, if he's with me, I'm going to drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. Come on, Joshua. Everybody else gave a bad report. You and I, we're still standing. Here we are, 85 years old, and you get the sense that he's got the same spirit. I kind of sense it's even stronger now than it was before. He's been trusting God for these promises all these years. And not only did he continue to do what he'd been doing all along, he continued to bleed, but he continued to fight. He'd been fighting for five years, leading his tribe. He would have been one of the guys leading into battle, and here he is, 85. Can you imagine getting ready to go into an army battle and your commander is 85 years old? I'm thinking like, I don't think I'm going. I'll tell you what, depends on the spirit of the man, not the age of the man. And there was something in his spirit. Here he is. He says, Caleb, it says, Caleb was given the town of Kareth Arba, that is Hebron, which had been named after Anak's ancestors. And Caleb drove out three groups of Anakites. It said that he drove out all the Anakites in that territory. There was none left. You stop and you think about it. 85 years old, he's not retiring. He's not sitting down quilting or collecting stamps. He's going to keep fighting for his inheritance. You know, Brother Dick was in the service, the first service, and I love the fact that 86 years of age, Brother Dick outflies and outtravels, I think, our entire staff probably put together to visit churches to strengthen pastors. That's the kind of spirit that I want in me and I want in you. That's the kind of spirit that keeps us strong. I was reading about some other people in their older years. Uh, in 94, maybe, probably a lot of you younger people don't remember, George Burns, he lived to be, I think, 100 years of age. He started as a vaudeville act and a comedian. 64 years later, at the age of 94, he goes back to, to do his vaudeville act at the first place he ever did it. I was reading about Nola Ox, who at 95 became the oldest person to receive a college degree. I'm thinking at 90, I'm not thinking about going back to school I wonder what drove her to say, I, I want to learn some more. 
I don't know if I'll even make it through college before I die, but I'm going to press on. How about at 95 or 99, Tichi Igarashi climbed Mount Fuji. Wow. There's a guy named Frank Shearer at 108 years of age. He's still water skiing. <laughs> Come on. How many want to still be water skiing at 100? If my body's good, I wouldn't mind. Here's my question. Where's your spirit at? Are you still fighting for the promises God has given you? The reality is even though there's been an inheritance of a land, the town Caleb, or, uh, Caleb wanted was Hebron. It still hadn't been taken yet. And isn't it kind of interesting that the very city that Caleb wants is the very city that caused everybody else to turn around and run away. It was the giants that made everybody else run is the very same giants that caused Caleb to run toward it. Are you running towards your giants or are you running away from them? Are you moving towards them in faith, knowing that God can do something? And I think Caleb's making a statement to everybody around him. Imagine what the people around him are doing. Hey, look at Caleb. He's 85. We thought he'd just go pitch his tent and sit there for a long time and tell everybody what to do. But no, he's going to go lead the battle. What do you need to keep fighting for? What is it that you've got in giants in your land? Lady from first service said, I know my giant. It's the fourth cancer diagnosis I've had in my life. She said, I'm still going to fight. I thought, you know, God knows the number of our days, but until he tells us it's over, we keep fighting because that's the spirit that we're to have. We may know Jesus may come tomorrow, but until he does, we're going to continue to press in. We're not taking natural ground. We're taking spiritual ground. We're taking people's lives to say, come on, devil, you get no more territory in our city. We don't care if Portland's weird. We love Portland. God put us here. We're fighting for every family, every marriage, every relationship. We're going to still fight. You're in a church of fighters. And maybe you, maybe there's some giants that are overwhelming you. I'm telling you, stay strong. Stay strong in order that we can all finish strong. I love the fact that Caleb went and he says he destroyed every person in that city. He took that as inheritance. Even then, there were still some more cities to take in that, in that territory given to Judah. And I love the last part of his life, the last glimpse we get into Caleb's life. We see two people that are in his life, family members, and we get a glimpse into the spirit they had. And I want to say this. I think finishing strong isn't you finishing strong. It's you pouring that same spirit into somebody else that they can start strong and stay strong, that they can finish strong. We read about two people. We see in Joshua 15, Caleb's getting ready to take another city with his, with his tribe and leaders. And he says, I'll give my daughter Oxen a marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kirisafir. Day in arranged marriages, not in a day like ours. How many are thankful we don't live with arranged marriages today? That hand went up really fast back there. <laughs> He's saying, I want you to know, I want to see that spirit in somebody. He says, Othniel. The son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So Oxa became Othniel's wife. I got to thinking about this. Who raised Caleb? He was his nephew? We don't know when, but at some point, his father would have died in the judgment with all the other people in Israel. Very patriarchal society. I, 
I just wonder if it wasn't Caleb that reached in and brought him into his family with no father and passed on that same spirit because Othniel, what is he ready? He's ready to take another city. He's not afraid of the giants in the land. He's got that same spirit Caleb did. Caleb, I think, taught him something. I think that spirit moved to him and as he married his own daughter, the two became a couple. We see Othniel not any longer in, in the book of Joshua, but when we come to the book of Judges. I found it really interesting. I had never seen this before. Othniel, he marries Oxa, and after Joshua dies, there's no leader over Israel, and the people begin to turn their heart away from God, and so it says that God sent another nation to kind of get their attention, let them know that they needed to turn and repent to him, but he also raised up a judge. The first judge of Israel was Othniel. Think about it. Remember Caleb? His heart and his spirit was to wholeheartedly follow after God because he had a different spirit than everyone around him. Othniel, he's looking at the whole nation. And he's realizing they're all following after other gods. What's his heart? I'm gonna have a different spirit. I'm gonna wholeheartedly follow after God. And God called him to destroy the enemy that again was taking them into slavery. Boy, it sure sounds a lot like Caleb. And then there's Oxa. I get the feeling that Oxa was his middle child, child that gave him some challenges in life. She lived in a world where women had really no rights. They were more property almost. I love the fact that it seems like Caleb truly loved his daughter. It says when Oxa married Othniel, I love this, she urged, her urged him to ask her father for a field. She goes by protocol. Women didn't have inheritances. Very few women in the Bible that, that had inheritance as we see. But Oxa, she's like, that spirit my dad had, I want an inheritance. I don't just want it for somebody else. I want it for myself. I don't want to see other people inherit the promises of God. I want it too. <laughs> Can't you just see her nudging her husband saying, come on, Othniel, go and ask dad. Oh, go and ask dad. Othniel asks, Caleb gives him some land, and then I love this. It says, and... She urged him to ask her father for a field, but then as she got off her donkey, watch out when your daughter gets off her donkey. <laughs> Caleb's worried. What's the matter? She said, give me another gift. Give me another gift. You've already given me the land and the negate, but now give me springs of water too. She knew that land without water wasn't of value. She wanted all that she could have from her father. She wanted every part of her inheritance that she could get. She didn't care if it was against culture. I think this girl was a stinker. I think we would have liked her. I think she's the kind of girl they would have made movies about. Because I think she had the same spirit of her father. Even though she was a woman, she had the same spirit Caleb had. So let me ask you today. Some of you that are in the room today, man, you finished strong. I mean, you've started strong. You've stayed strong all these years. Maybe it's your years of, of slowing down maybe in your work world and that, but can I ask you to be a Caleb in our house, to grab the Othniels and the Oxas around you, to put that same spirit that you have into them, to grab somebody and disciple them and help them walk through when they're going through a marriage challenge and you remember what that's like, but God brought you through it and you've got a strong marriage now. How about you come alongside and put somebody in that same spirit that you had to fight for it and learn from it. 
How about raising kids? How about just the, the giants in the land? For some of you, you've really learned how to overcome the giants by trusting in God, but there's many people online in our rooms, they're still struggling. How do they get stronger? Yes, it's by being with God, but it's also by having a house full of Caleb's that aren't just men, it's mothers and fathers in the faith. How many would say, I've got some giants in my world? Come on. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Just want everybody to just kind of close in with the Holy Spirit for a moment. You know, the first place on this Father's Day that I'm thinking about is those who don't have a relationship with God their Father. Maybe your relationship with God isn't any different, maybe from your perspective than your relationship with your own Father. Maybe it's absent. Maybe it seems painful. Maybe it seems like There's no love there. But I want to tell you this. The scripture we looked at during our generosity moment totally describes the heart and nature of God, that he loved you so much that he gave his only son so that you could have eternal life, forgiveness, a new start. You could live a life that was stronger no matter what came your way. Not denying its existence, but looking to someone who's greater than its existence. And today, if you're in this room, and I'm going to ask my service host just to help me for a moment, because I just want to pray for anybody here, anybody online that would just say, I need Jesus in my life. I need a father that loves me, and I know that the way to that, my father's relationship is through Jesus. And if you need forgiveness today, or you need to come back and really into that relationship with God the Father through Jesus, I just want you to slip up your hand and all I'm asking you to do is saying, I realize that this Father's Day, I need a relationship with my God, with God my Father. Nobody's looking around. This is between you and God. Online, there's a little place right on the bottom that you can just let them know that you're, you're making that decision. And in this auditorium, I'm just gonna wait another minute because this is the most important part of Father's Day is for your heart to be connected to the Father's heart. And my service hosts are just helping me look around and if your hand is up, they're just gonna put a little book in your hand with a card because we wanna get that back from you to help you walk on that journey. And if you raised your hand, all it takes is a moment to simply say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, I received the gift of salvation paid by your shed blood on the cross. Today, I ask you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I I turn away, even from looking at the giants, and God, I turn and look to you today. You are where my help comes from. As you simply pray that prayer, it just opens the door for God to come into your heart, to change everything, to be your father. And I celebrate that with you today. And If you did that, whether we see you or not, I'd love to either ask you to take that purple card and go to the back, or even if you didn't get one, they didn't see you, you just go right to the back. We've got some prayer teams at the end of the service to just walk with you and talk with you and help you on that journey. And last, as we close today, I know that you're all seated, but I wanna ask some of you to do one last thing. You know, Caleb, 
in the midst of all the voices, in the midst of all the things going on that declared the giants were the greatest thing in their life. Caleb just didn't think about how good God was. He made a declaration that God was greater than the giants in, their, in his life. And this morning, if you've got giants in your life, you're struggling maybe either to stay strong or you don't see the future, you're, you just need God's breakthrough. I wanna ask you to stand to your feet with everybody looking, every eye open. I just wanna ask you to stand to your feet today. I felt like the Lord said, if you'll take a step like Caleb, it'll begin to shift some things for you in your spirit. Not even in the circumstance around, but it allows me to come and be in that first place. I believe there's some more that just need to take a step. And can I tell you, quit listening to the crowd around you. Quit worrying about what people are gonna think. You know what we're gonna think in here? We're gonna stand with you today. I got some giants in my land. I got some things that are harassing and bothering me, but I'll tell you what. I'm standing on scriptures right now that says, I will not fear because God is right beside me. I don't have to fear. I can look to him. I'm just going to give you another minute to just stand. Because God's in the house. Even worship this morning was reminding you how good he is and how faithful he is. Come on. Why don't we all stand? I just want you to stretch out your hand to somebody just around you. We're just going to pray right now. Father, today, we come and we stand with our family, with those online, those in the room that have just signified that, Lord, they're taking a stand. They're making a declaration to you. And I pray that you would turn, God, even in their mind today, from looking at the giants to looking to you. That's not a denial that they're there. But God, whatever it is, we stand with them today. And this is what we declare. Our God is able. Our God is good. Even when we can't see you, Father, you're still working on our behalf. And Lord, I pray whether they're in the midst of darkness and cloudiness that they can't see the next step, or Lord, they've seen it and it scares them. God, I pray today for a spirit of faith to come around them. Today, God, we pray over their minds, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy, and a good report, that God, you would come and you'd surround them today. And Father, we're asking you to just show up. Some need a miracle like Jericho where the walls come down. Others need provision like manna in the desert. Others need God to hear your voice, to know why things aren't working like with AI. But you're the God who can come in right where they're at and simply love them as their father. So today, God, we thank you for speaking to all of us on this Father's Day. We love you. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name. Come on, can you just put your hands together for God?